Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And that research process is uh, very, very heavy right now. I'm, I'm working side-by-side side with a gentleman in New Jersey trying to get this thing uh, revved up, uh, but we can't do it without all of you. And uh, we're, we're happy to be joined by, uh, by somebody who is one of you, and that is uh, Bay Ridge's John Nelson. John, thank you so much for joining us on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Thank you. Absolutely, and, and uh, let's get right into it as to how you and I met. A, a, a friend of the podcast, Rob Barnes, uh, and you were in fantasy camp together. And uh, let's just, right. let's jump jump right let's jump right into it before we go all the way back to your uh, you as a child running around the streets of Bay Ridge. Let's talk about uh, what fantasy camp was like and what it was like taking in some of those childhood heroes uh, front and center at fantasy camp. Um, it was absolutely not a fantasy. I never thought about it. Um, originally, uh, after about five or six years here, uh, I travel up to Dodgertown to uh, see what's happening up there during spring training. And uh, I, I met some ball players, a lot of ball players, and also uh, talked to some people uh, who are going to be in fantasy camp, and they, uh, they strongly suggested I do it. And I never played baseball. I played stickball as a kid. And uh, I, I thought about it, and and it sort of buried in my mind, but then eventually uh, uh, I signed up in 07, in February 07, for the first fantasy camp, and I went to six in a row. Six in a row, that's amazing. So uh, who are some of the Brooklyn Dodgers that you got a chance to, to see on these these uh, uh, weeks of, of baseball playing? Well, there's, uh, Carl Erskine was there, uh, Duke Snyder. Clem Labine, George Shotgun Shuba, and Joe Pignatano. Uh, they now, were the, they were know, coaches there. They're all such fascinating characters, uh, one of which we've had on the show a number of times, Mr. Carl Erskine. Uh, you told me a, a great little anecdote about how the first time you ever met Mr. Mr. Erskine. Yeah, I was on the backfield of, uh, of uh, Dodgertown, and just coming from a, a game that was being played by fantasy players, and uh, I was just walking back, and uh, all of a sudden a, a, a golf cart pulls up to me, say, "Would you like a lift?" <laughs> and it was Carl Erskine in the cart, and he uh, welcomed me on the cart and said, uh, "I have to make one trip, uh, but if you want to stay with me, then uh, we'll we'll be back in about five ten minutes." And I said. Well, I was total awe of uh, of him. Uh, never expected anything like that, and I was uh, so very excited. So, any that other was the beginning of regarding... our relationship? Go ahead. Well, uh, no, I was going to ask if there's any other stories regarding some of the the other players that you mentioned. I mean, it, you know, when I hear George Shuba, it, it it is fascinating. You know, from from the um, uh, Carl, I believe, and of course Jackie Robinson, some of the other uh, Dodger ball players, were at the foreground of of America's view of the Dodgers. But if you were a Brooklyn fan, some of these, you know, Joe Pignatano, 
and George Shuba, some of these, these uh, other names, uh, certainly hit home as much as the other players did. Yeah. And ironically, uh, uh, during fantasy camp, I was one of the interviewers of George Shuba for the cable that, uh, for their uh, uh, videotape that they were running. So uh, I got to speak to him uh, quite often. So what was it like? Well, what were some of the things you and George talked about? Oh, he he basically just told stories about uh, about his uh, uh, days with uh, with Brooklyn, and um, and uh, he just relayed some stories. And uh, real, I couldn't even tell you because I was so I was pretty numb <laughs> uh, interviewing because I had to watch to uh, to the left to make sure I wasn't up at the plate. Because I was doing it in between uh, playing uh, fantasy camp, so uh, oh, the story is he, he, so, he was sounds so exciting. And to this day, I think Joe Pignatano still lives in Brooklyn. Uh, possibly, I, I have to do a little research regarding that, and possibly while we're on air. Um, so, yeah, uh, is is there one? Uh, is there one other thing that you'd like to talk about fantasy camp before we move on? Uh, maybe like, is there a story you can tell about going up to play? Did you, did you get some, uh, some pitching in? Uh, uh, what, what were some of the, the highlights of, of, uh, I know you, you said you went six straight years. So what are some of the highlights of those six years? Um, actually the first highlight is just coming up to the plate. Cause when you think of all the players, that that stood on, uh, in the batter's box at uh, Dodger Town. You go, it got to go back to I think 1951. Uh, no, 48. I think it was 48 that they uh, uh, they uh, they built Dodger Town, and, uh, and just the great players, uh, whether it's uh, Stan Musial, uh, Duke Snyder, all of the great players. And then on the pitching mound, you got. Uh, uh, you got Sandy Colfax and Don Drysdale. Just, just an awesome uh, feeling to be in the same area as them. Uh, it must be. You know, it's it's it humbles you, uh, and you see them in a different light. But then, you know, when when and I had an experience with Carl with him driving up as well, and it 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 was 2000, I believe, 2017, and uh, meeting me at a Bob Evans. Carl drove uh, directly up by himself at, at, at age 90. Um, and yeah. it's, it is, it is remarkable. You know, you, you look at them and, and you realize in, in many ways there's, you still look up to them, but they're just human like you. And, and it kind of brings you back uh, uh, that, you know, to kind of the energy force field that we all are. And that that's, you know, what sports is, is we're just sharing in these, these uh, common uh, interest that we we all know and love, and that's what that's what Brooklyn united around baseball with. Yes, I have one story about Carl Erskine. I don't know if you know about. In fantasy camp, at the end of a game, did you know his son Jimmy? Yes. Did you ever hear about his son Jimmy? Yes. All right. Well, just for the folks, uh, Jimmy is. Uh, mentally challenged, uh, I, and uh, at the very end of every uh, of uh, 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 at least one game, 
uh, they'll bring Jimmy to the plate, and he will hit the ball, and he will run the bases. And you've got maybe a couple of hundred people in the background watching him and cheering him on. And it's just a heart-wrenching time to watch it, watch it happen. Yeah, and, and he's done so much for the cause uh, over the, the years. And, uh, you know, yes. him and Jimmy are still, of course, very close uh, living, <clears throat> excuse me, living in Anderson, Indiana. And um, I'm hoping to see uh, at least Carl uh, over the next month and a half or so. So we'll, we'll uh, keep the audience privy to that information if I'm able to head out there. So, uh, uh, John, you know, you, you were uh, front and center next to some of these, these players growing up since a lot of them lived in Bay Ridge. Talk about your, your early life and, and uh, growing up around, uh, uh, you know, all these Dodgers and, and when the Dodgers used to be in Brooklyn. Um, I was a very lucky person because in ni- my father was a big Brooklyn Dodger fan, and in 1954, he bought a season package of all night games and Sunday games to the Dodgers, and we would go as, as often as possible to the games. And he was an amateur photographer, and he would um, sometimes bring the, uh, his big box and this was the all-time box that photographers used to carry around with the camera inside, which had to weigh 30, 40 pounds. So they, he would bring the camera, and he would take pictures on camera day. He would take pictures on, uh, of the ball players of the game. And, uh, and, he t- and he took me to the 55 World Series game four. And uh, he took pictures of the, of the, uh, of the game action. And uh, I have it on my wall today, and I got it autographed by the players. So it was just a remarkable thing. He, and he also was able to get me in the dugout to see Pee Wee Reese because he was, uh, he was an electrician that did some work for Walter, Alston, Walter O'Malley. And um, I was able to get into the area of the clubhouse and meet the players as they went out to the field and get their autograph and get their picture, and also of uh, Pee Wee Reese in the dugout. So that's that's what my father did for me, which I'll never forget. Just an awesome feeling. And you had season tickets between '54 and '57, correct? That's correct, '54 to '57. So what was the first and ever 50- game you went to Abbott's Field? The first ever game, uh, I went by myself. And it was because I, I saved Elsie coupons and Elsie wrappers and the lids to the ice cream. And f- uh, if you collected 10 of them, you could send mail it in and they would give you a general mission ticket. And that was my first game. And I uh, went to the field and uh, I was, I was uh, absolutely surprised because I've been watching it on television, black and white, and all of a sudden it took color. And it was the greenest green of the field. The uniforms were absolutely beautiful, white with blue and red markings, and uh, just so colorful. I was uh, I was awestruck. So you know, of course, we talked about some of these players already, who were your favorites. But but who was the first player that you really noticed on the field that that 
um, that may not have necessarily, like if you can, you know, dig deep back into your memory, that uh, uh, isn't necessarily when you, you know, when somebody asks you who your favorite player was, you say this player. But but what 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 is some of like the the first recollections of the Dodger players on the uh, the field and any particular person who stepped uh, you know steps out in your memory? Um, I I remember when Koufax pitched uh, early in his career. It had to be like May of '55, uh, and uh, what I remembered most about it was that he was hitting the backstop on the fly. <laughs> with a fastball, <laughs> and I'll never forget that. Uh, he corrected himself, but uh, at the time, it was quite awesome to see him hit the backstop on a fly right past the catcher and the umpire. But I had an affinity for Junior Gilliam. Sorry about with that. Me? If you could elaborate. Yeah, sorry about that. If you could elaborate uh, a bit on Junior Gilliam. Yeah, um, he, he was always a favorite of mine because he was uh, a hard-nosed ball player, and uh, basically he's a singles hitter. He hit maybe three or four home runs a year, but uh, he, he was a switch hitter, and uh, he batted uh, first in the order. He was the leadoff batter, and he would bunt. He, he would get on base, and then he would set the table for Pee Wee and, and Snyder afterwards, and Campanella and Hodges and right through the lineup, but uh, Junior Gilliam was uh, was an exciting ball player, and unfortunately, he he passed away young. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I, I you know there's so many different characters to go through. I haven't done enough research on Junior Gilliam, so I appreciate you bringing that name up. Um, how about you know what what was 1955 like for you? Uh, and your father, you know, especially what, uh, how long had your father been in Brooklyn? Had he been in there his whole life, uh, you know, uh, as a Dodgers fan, waiting, I believe at that point it was 72 years that they had been in uh, in inception um, that they they won the World Series. Um, it, it was an exciting time because the, the Yankees kept beating us every year, and um, 55 was special. Um, I, I remember I was coming home from uh, from school, and I, 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 I think I was in junior high school at the time, but uh, I, I ran to the TV and put it on, and uh, there was up in Yankee Stadium, and uh, Johnny Padres uh, was just blanking them and shutting them out. So it was just an awesome feeling. Oh, I'm sure. So, so what was the party like once he, uh, you know, once that? I, I forget exactly what the last play was. Do you remember what the last play was? Uh, it was a ground ball to shortstop, and uh, he threw over to Hodges, and Hodges, uh, they, they, they said he hit the, he threw it in the dirt, but he didn't. It was a low throw, and he, he uh, caught the ball for the final out. And it's fitting that it was Pee Wee to Hodges. It just feels yeah. like that was right. Yes. Um, and so when when that happened, uh, just if you can talk about the feeling in Brooklyn and how how it was, you know, the 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 personal, uh, um, how you took the entire thing in, if you can get it as atmospheric as possible with us. Unfortunately, the 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 boys that I uh, played with 
were Yankee fans, so I could not exactly uh, go outside and uh, and show my uh, my joy because they were very mad. So it was a personal joy. So a lot of the uh, uh, people around your neighborhood were were kind of multi-team oriented. Um, I would say uh, quite a bit were Yankee fans. I didn't hold that against them, but uh, they were. They were just upset that they couldn't uh, win <laughs> the next year. How do you think that happened? I mean, other than the fact that the Yankees were winning year after year after year, you know, Bay Ridge, they, they had so many Dodgers living over there. Uh, obviously, Dodge, you know, Brooklyn is a very tight-knit neighborhood, a tight-knit community in general. How do you think uh, it turned out that there were so many Yankee fans around your area? Um, never asked at that time, and I never even thought about it at this time. But uh, uh, but Brooklyn was uh, Brooklyn was my favorite. Uh, I loved I loved it. I went to the I went to the '56 World Series, and they won a game 13 to eight. And unfortunately, they uh, they got uh, no hitted by. Uh, uh, I forget the pitcher's name, but uh, they, 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 were, they were taken out with a no-hitter. You talking about Larson? I'm sorry, say again? Are you talking about uh, Don Larson? Don Larson, the no-hitter, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect game. And I got either. to meet him right, uh, sure. in fantasy camp. Oh, wow. Ironically. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you were telling me that um, – there was a little bit of a crossover when there weren't too many people one year they, uh, that the Dodgers faced the Yankees in fantasy camp. They, they, uh, they came to a decision um, to join the Yankees with a uh, fantasy camp at Dodger Town. And so they had uh, a lot of Yankee ex-players like uh, oh, Hank Bauer, uh, my goodness gracious, I can't even think of the, of the other ones. Um, Gil McDougal, they they brought some uh, players as coaches, and uh, they had I their own Joe, fantasy Joe players. Pepitone, I feel like, was Joe Pepitone there? I always felt, felt like Joe Pepitone was around uh, Yankee fantasy camp a lot. Was he? Yeah, just when I was, I used to, I I used to be a Yankee fan. I am now a Mets fan, uh, going with the National oh, Legacy Pepitone, of New York, huh? but... Oh, yeah. yeah, Joe Pepitone. I just I remembered that when I when I uh, had kind of the Yankees in my peripheral, Joe Pepitone was always doing something down there in Tampa. Yeah, he he was not at the fantasy camp, but uh, I remember the hairdryers incident. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember the hairdryer incident? I don't. It, it's just it's a funny it's a funny thing to say without even the context of it. He was he was the first ball player to ever use a, a hair dryer in the in the clubhouse. That's that's the way it was related to me. Oh, I see. That's that's fun. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it was it's it's just so funny, like watching the evolution of what the ball player is, and and thinking about uh, the grief they get. You know, you hear you hear. Uh, uh, you know, just listening to sports radio and hearing about how upset some, you know, right now it's the Yankee. It's crazy enough, the, Met, the, the Mets are the ones who are used to the injury news. But right now, it's been one Yankee after another. And so you get a lot of ire uh, on, on sports radio and something you hear, something you would never have heard 
back in the day of the blue collar player uh, is just, you know, the, 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 you know, fans resenting the fact that these players are getting injured so much while making the type of money they make. I don't, they'll, they'll compete every time. They want to be a major league baseball player. They don't think about injuries. Right. They don't care. They just want to play. And I can yeah, understand and I just, it's a beautiful game. But I never I – think, I think that, you know, some might get complacent, if you will, because of the money. But I, I don't think I, – I don't think it takes away as much as the fan likes to berate the player. It, you know, the passion of the game is still there no matter how much money they make. Um, you probably are aware that uh, back in the 50s, the ball players did not make that much money, and many of them had uh, winter jobs. And I know that uh, Carl Ferrillo had his own uh, grocery store in Queens, and uh, Campanella had a, had a liquor store. That's right. That's right. Um I, you know, I think that it was a drive home on a wintry night from that liquor store right. that unfortunately crippled him for for uh, the rest of his life. That's absolutely true. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we were going on tangents, say uh, la vie, uh, as as life goes, unfortunately. Um, but the uh, I I wanted to kind of touch before we left on your opinion of Walter O'Malley. Uh, uh, obviously, you had kind of a, a, a – your dad did work for him, so you had a, a, a less of a six degrees of separation towards Walter. Um, so what was your opinion when the Dodgers left? Were you, you – you were uh, – what was it, 13, correct, when the Dodgers left? That's correct, yeah, 57. So how did you take it as, as a budding young, young man? I – I basically didn't think too much of it. Uh, I've learned since then that uh, O'Malley wanted to keep the uh, players in Brooklyn, but, and he, he had a, play, a couple of locations set up. But uh, uh, who was the, uh, the uh, mover shaker? I forget the guy's name, but uh, uh, somebody Moses. worked for the mayor. Who? Robert Moses. Moses, right. Um he did not want to do it, and basically uh, he forced the issue, and uh, O'Malley went to L.A. and had a, was given a great deal, and uh, the rest is history. But uh, you can't blame him. He tried to keep them in Brooklyn, and uh, the politicians wouldn't allow it. Uh, in modern vernacular, it just seemed to be a cluster F of uh, <laughs> of, of, of you know, bureaucrats, uh, bureaucratics, uh, business, and, and just the entire thing uh, stunk to high heaven. So it, it, do, you, do you think that um, when looking at the way that Brooklyn, or, or, you know, either developed or you could say fell apart after the Dodgers left, do you think that uh, Brooklyn would have gone that direction? It was just uh, uh, kind of exacerbated by the Dodgers leaving? It's an odd uh, 
point in time for me because I was uh, still going to school and then I was uh, going to junior high school and then uh, high school. So uh, my uh, my focus was uh, really on, uh, on my education and future. Uh, I went to a few Yankee games, but uh, that, that was about it. Um, I basically was getting on with my life. Yeah, it, it seems like it was just uh, the intersection for you with the Dodgers leaving was just, you were like, all right, well, that's that. And, and for a lot of people, you, you know, the way you frame it isn't the way I've heard other people frame it. That, you know, you were 13 years old, and, and that's a time where you're learning about the world, you're starting to become a man, and you're understanding the way things work in a better way. And, and to a lot of uh, kids, they've talked about, you know, people who are around the same age, they've talked about, you know, the Dodgers leaving, kind of pushing that innocence off the cliff. Um, it was not that focused for me. Uh, I mean, basically, I, I just moved on. Uh, it, it was sad. I, I, no, I still followed them in L.A. to a point because you would still get the radio broadcasts and occasionally TV games. And uh, as long as it was a Colfax and the Drysdale, I would still follow them in L.A. Yeah, and it seems that that's, that's what Colfax and Drysdale did in many ways that kept the, uh, the Mays fans uh, following the, the Giants because it, it always seems that, you know, your sentiment seems uh, more in line with the Giants fans who kept following Willie Mays and the Giants uh, more than the rest of Brooklyn or the rest of the Dodger fan, it seemed as if more Dodger fans took it personally, which kept them from following the Los Angeles team. And maybe that's why. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just going to say that the people who took it, uh, the worst of all were the, the adults, uh, people in their twenties, thirties and forties. Uh, they considered O'Malley the, uh, the worst person in the world, the devil, and uh, as a as a kid, I, I didn't. Uh, I basically uh, I enjoyed the game, and uh, that's about it. Don't forget, uh, I did not go through the 40s with the with the Dodgers because I was still too young. But uh, I remember mm. I, I've read quite a bit, and and the stories of the uh, people moving down the street, and you could hear the uh, the game on the radio from one house to the next, and people would be playing the games, and they would be, the games would be in the afternoon. So they would be listening to uh, Red Barber mm -hmm. and the announcers. So it was a different time. So the grown-ups took it much more serious than than the kids. That's interesting, and and uh, we're running out of time. But I, I, I'm I'm going to have to uh, uh, you know put a pin in that one, and and we'll loop back around at some point, uh, John. I. I greatly appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, if there's anything else you want to touch on before we go, uh, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Um, well, not really. I'm just a, uh, I'm, I'm just a, a great fan of the, the, of the Brooklyn Dodgers and what, the, what they've done in the past. I have a lot of books on them, and as I said, I have uh, autographed pictures and, and balls to follow them, their uh, uh, successes and uh, well, actually, uh, and I'm sorry to cut you. I'm sorry to cut you off, but since we have about two right. minutes left, if you wanted, 
uh, if you wanted to briefly talk about your the uh, you know all the ornaments that you have of uh, Dodgers history, and and you have an entire room wall to wall of uh, of this stuff. Um, over the over history, I was been able to determine that there were 879 Brooklyn Dodgers in history. And uh, so there was a beginning and an end, and there were many names to the teams uh, over over time. But uh, I, I gathered as many autographs as possible and as many pictures because there was a photographer in Chicago that uh, uh, that uh, took pictures of everybody came through, all the opposing players, and he he posted them for sale. And then his family posted them for sale when he passed on. Um, so I basically bought them, and I try to get autographs. So I, I have a lot of uh, autograph pictures, and as many as possible. That's fantastic, and and I sometimes wonder whether the autograph is going by the wayside, uh, whether it's because of of how players uh, uh, interact with the fans, uh, or or just the fact that it. it you know, it, it, people don't have uh, paper and pen on them as much anymore. But uh, it, it's amazing to see what you've done, and I, I look forward to sharing with everybody out there uh, on this, the different social media platforms uh, some of the photos that you uh, you have given me permission to share. So, again, John, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great going uh, down memory lane with you, and uh, I look forward to talking with you again. You're welcome on the show anytime. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you all for listening to the Bedford Sullivan Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Okay.